Welcome to the first episode of the Last Student Podcast. I am honored to have George Clements joining me for this memorable opening. When I think about George's journey, two things come to mind. Number one, never judge a book by its cover. Number two, build to sell. So keep that in mind. George is the founder of the Magnum Company, a brand that is making Magnum an affordable luxury in the UK. He has successfully built and sold previous companies. But behind this remarkable founder and entrepreneur, it's a friend and a man of great character. Let's start by talking about the entrepreneurial element in your life. You have shared with me that you found out early on, like many of us, that you were somewhat unemployable. So what is the story behind the incredible founder that is George Clements today? Afternoon, Albin. It's good to be here. Eh? How I became a founder. I guess the truth is, is that, as I said to you earlier, I'm unemployable. So by default, you've got to find your own thing. It all started when I left school at 18. I lost a bet with my father and I had to join the Navy. So I joined the Navy as an officer and did three years in the British Navy. And it taught me a lot. But when I left that, I kind of stumble into things. I, I stumble into opportunities. I'm a big yes man. I say, I say yes to, you know, drinks parties, dinner parties cricket matches or, or, or meeting new people really and things just present themselves like, like I said I've, I've done four bit I'm on my fourth startup and the founding side is just you know meeting great people coming up with great ideas and saying what have we got to lose give it a go and along the way you learn some amazing lessons you make mistakes and you learn from them but fundamentally every single one of them I have a lot of fun doing it and so my story is that really it's not out of choice it's out of necessity as in It just kind of happens, and I always have fun along the way. And I think as long as you have fun doing what you do, you're going to be good at it. So you mentioned about moving from one lesson to the next one and finding out and discovering what works and what doesn't. Was there a body of knowledge informing you of what to do, what steps to take, what to say yes to, or was everything discovered on this process of trial and error and you kind of had to build your own body of knowledge to inform your decisions? Great question. I mean, the British education system doesn't really set you up for running businesses. You know, you taught, you taught, you know, mathematics and English and, and whatnot at school, but it's not really business orientated. What really set me up for a, a career in 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 life really was the military it taught to you the great foundation stones of of society more than anything else it's about honesty and integrity it's about timekeeping and time and teamwork it's it's about caring and looking after people as well as having fun working hard and playing hard so no formal training i, I suppose the military would be formal training i think dartmouth which is you know that dartmouth is a royal naval college it, it, that, that teaches you these things and how to lead but really I didn't get taught how to lead. I got taught how to delegate and how to include others. But just talking about it now, really, I learned the most on the sports fields. I learned the most playing, playing rugby at school or playing cricket. That's where I learned about leadership and learned about teamwork, which you can take those skill sets you learn on the sports field in, into business quite easily. And as long as you can master those, you, you're going to be successful. Talking about these skills that you got from sports, was that informing your decision to have a co-founder or was that unintentional? I, I'm a big fan of doing things for and with other people. So I need that motivation. 
for the benefit of people that, that don't know, we're friends because we, we run together. We discovered each other running in Cape Town. And, you know, we push each other up when we run together. But I need that other person to run alongside me to make me go quicker. And you chat along the way and you have banter, but really I need that help. I think as, as a society, as humans, we're, we're very sociable beings and I need that sociability. So yeah, all of them I've founded with other people and, and co-founders are difficult people to find and come and go, but I'm very lucky that, that I've had really good ones along the way and I haven't fallen out with them majorly. So yeah, definitely need the co-founders. That is interesting that you mentioned that you haven't fought with your co-founders. I know that there are, there are challenges, but the way that you explain that, looking at the point that you made earlier, that you found that you were somewhat unemployable and now having these amazing relationships with co-founders and people around you, is there a big adjustment that one needs to have in terms of personality and beliefs to kind of navigate that? I've certainly changed a lot over, over my, over the last 15 years that I've been running businesses. I think you, you, you become a lot more humble. You learn to, to, to step back and just appreciate what you got and how, how it's come about and appreciate other people's talents and abilities and let them, you know, either succeed or, or fail, but be there to support them either way. I think I'm a lot better as a co-founder now than I was when, you know, we first started point two. You know, when I was 23, you know, I've, I've, I've changed a lot and I've learned a lot, but it should, te teamwork is about growing together and it's about achieving together and it's about building a business together. And ideally, I always think you want three people, three or four in, in that team. One, if you only have two people, then, then you do get those, those issues with 50, 50 decisions and 50, 50 splits. But I, th I think you just become a lot more humble in, in, in your abilities, but also other people's abilities are better than yours. But yeah, I love, I love having other people to work alongside. When you speak about delegating, is that something that you always practiced or is it a skill that you had to develop as you were moving from a founder, let's say, to more of an executive or an experienced um, entrepreneur? Delegation is born out of laziness. I mean, You know, as, as I said to you earlier, Bill Gates says, give your laziest person the hardest job and they'll find the easiest way of doing it. I take that tongue in cheek. It's a little bit of laziness, but actually it's also understanding people are better at many things than you are. And, and it all comes down to trust delegation. It's all about trusting others to succeed, giving them the tools to succeed, but also believing they can do it, giving them the support, the love, the motivation and the ability to go and do it. And then enjoying them succeeding as much as you would enjoy seeing yourself succeed. I get more pleasure out of seeing my co-workers or co-founders or people I work alongside succeeding as I do as myself. If not more pleasure, you know, I, it's like running, you know, I, I, if, if I've been running with somebody and they run a sub four hour mouth and I'm, I'm ha so happy for them because they, they've achieved what they wanted to achieve. So. I think that's an age thing, but delegation is very easy if it's for the right reasons, which is to see other people grow. And also you can only grow a company if you do delegate. You can't do everything yourself. And if you try, you will fail or you'll get burnout either or. It's not a good outcome. Moving into the companies that you've started and sold, what, what's the process behind starting a company to sell or build to sell? Is that, is that a strategic process for you? Oh, they're all, they're all mistakes, eh? They're all, they're all mistakes. The first one was a company called Point Two. We made air jackets that blow up when you fall off a horse. It sounds crazy, but it, it's true. 
So it's a little bit like wearing a, a life jacket and you attach the, you attach the cable to, call it a ripcord to the saddle when you're riding a horse. And if you fall off, the pin comes out a bit like on a jet ski. The pin comes out and this jacket blows up in 0.082 of a second and basically saves your life. And so if you watch the, the three day event in guys that do, it's big in the UK, this sport, they'll all wear 0.2 jackets. We've tried to get it into horse racing, a bit more difficult because of the weight. But this thing is, is mainly for people that ride horses, just out and about hacking, riding around, mainly in the British countryside, and, and it's big in America too. But, but basically, it's a safety device that, that blows up to protect you when you fall off a horse and also protect you when a horse falls on top of you. That was the first one. That was brilliant fun. We did that for five years. I went around the world, in, around the horse world for five years drinking and having fun at the age of 23, 4, 25. Yeah, brilliant. Best years of my life. And then I then started a company, or we started a company called Grantree that was involved in something called R&D tax credits and government funding. So in the UK, there's a lot of funding for young startups, mainly in the tech space. And there's this great scheme called R&D tax credits, which basically meant if you did research and development, then you got money put back into your company. Ironically, it's not a tax, it's not a credit. They just give you cash. It's extraordinary. But a lot of companies didn't realize they were eligible for it. And so what we did is we made companies aware and then we got the money for them. And as on the back of that, we also invested in some companies, some really cool little tech startups, things like Monzo Bank, which is, which is a cool bank. It's a, it's one of these new banks. What three words we, we got involved with, which is an amazing business, which is all about changing the use of postcodes or street names. And then things like a city mapper. I don't think you've got a city mapper out here, but a city mapper in, in New York or London just gives you the best way of gave A to B on, on public transport. It's extraordinary. So we got involved some amazing tech startups in Shoreditch, which is in East London, which is very edgy. I'm a very edgy guy. So it's not surprising. That's tongue in cheek. But yeah, like we, it was an amazing space to be in. And then we started a company called Treehouse off the back of that, which was a co-working space in short, in Shoreditch. So we had companies like Crowdcube, which is like a fundraising platform in the UK that were in that building. And we just created a hive, a space of, of, of entrepreneurial spirit and, and people just helping each other out. It was brilliant fun. And then lastly, I started a company called the Magnum Company, which sells magnums, uh, not ice creams, not guns, but we sell bottles of wine, booze. We sell anything in magnum format and, you know, if it all goes wrong, I've got about 8,000 magnums in a warehouse. So we'll have a hell of a party. But at the moment, it's going quite well, eh? So we sell magnums in the UK. So it's all online. And yeah, it's brilliant fun. I've been running that for about four years now. And we're loving it. I love the way that you speak about work and the things that you do. Because in most instances, we concentrate on the laborious. And you speak a lot about the fun part, the play part. Do you need to continuously cultivate a mindset and an attitude that allows you to maintain that perspective? It's a jolly good question that. I mean, I have an amazing father who, who did a job for 20 years he hated. He was a divorce solicitor. He was, he was very good at what he did. He was incredible. But, you know, every day he'd be dealing with other people's problems and he'd be, he'd be trying to, he'd be going into and seeing people's relationships were failing and trying to work out how to, how to sort them out or how to dissolve them or whatever. When I was very young, I always valid, 
I wouldn't do a job I hated. I'd, I'd always, you, this is not a dress rehearsal life. It, it's one shot. And so if you don't enjoy every day, what's the point of, of doing it? So my attitude is always to enjoy it. And, and of course, there's hard work along the way. Of course, there's struggles. Of course, there's anxieties and, and bad times and good times. And that's actually, you know, when we talked earlier about founders, that's why founders are so important for me. It's, it's not the, just the good times you share. It's the bad times as well. It's when you, you've got things wrong, when you've messed up and sharing that, those down times so you get the high times. But you'll only be good at something if you enjoy it. You know, you'll only be phenomenal at something if you enjoy it and if you're having fun doing it. So I make sure every, every day I have a laugh and every day I'm with people that I care about and, and every day. I'm doing something that, that makes me smile. Transitioning into what we often call having a life balance, I know that you often do these long distance running programs that it, it might take days, sometimes takes hours, but regardless, you, you, you maintain the same level of professionalism, the same intensity, the same joy, at least to, to the ones that I was part of. We, we were together at Tanqua and, and, and I saw that. I saw the same George that was speaking with his team in, in London. Uh, how, how do you maintain that? How do you cope so effectively with so much demand as a founder, an entrepreneur, executive? I think that's interesting. I think that, I think everybody's got to work out what works for them. So for, for me, running is my escape. It's my, my thinking time. As you well know, when we run together, we'll chat for the first 10 minutes and then I'll put in the headphones and, and often there'll be nothing in the headphones. There'll be nothing. I just, just, I zone out and, and it gives me time just to process what's going on. And a lot of the time, some of my best ideas or my, the way I kind of go through problems that, that we might be encountering, you know, something's not right with a supplier or a team member is going through a difficult time and how can I support that person or how can I develop them or whatever it might be. I figure that out when I run. When, when we run, we've got a program where it might say, right, we're going to run for an hour. I've not got an hour to work out what's going on with this, this situation. And there's a, there's a cursory, you know, 10 minutes chatting to you about life. And then it's right. We, we're, we're, we're going so quick. Actually, well, you're going so quick. I'm just trying to survive, but we're, you're going so quick that, you know, you can just switch off. It, it's beautiful, but that's my way of, of, of dealing with life. Some people meditate and some people swim. Some, some people do other things. I don't know, but. But that, that, that's my way of doing it. Talking about the, sort of the, the extreme adventures, I mentioned I lost a bet with my father. Every other one of those extreme adventures is normally losing a bet or, or, lo or losing a game. So it's, it's about putting yourself into situations you don't feel comfortable with. It's like that great Baz Luhrmann song, isn't it? Always put yourself in a situation you don't feel comfortable in. Put yourself outside your comfort zone. And I believe in that. I think that you should do things to scare you. The body is a phenomenal tool. There's a great stat in, when we're in the, in the Navy that you can push your body 80% more than your mind thinks you can. So when you say things like, how do you cope doing both? Easily because your, your body can cope and the fitter you get physically, I think the fitter you get mentally. And that's how you run, run companies. But I don't really, I wouldn't say I really run companies. I just find a great team of people and let them do it for me. In sourcing for individuals that will help you take the organization where you guys need to take the organization, do you look for new people, fresh coming out of school, or are these individuals that are already equipped, um, sort of premium? No, I mean, I, 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 all mine are startups I can't afford. 
I can't afford those sorts of people that you talk about. So you've got to find young talent. And everybody's got talent. Like everybody's interesting. You just got to spend the time working it out and finding out what their talent is, what they're good at. And the irony of that is, is that they, they think they might be great at accounts, but what they're really good at is creative writing, right? So you've got to work out what that, that talent might be within that person. And it's not, it's not developing it. It's just giving them the space, the time to, to find it. And then they, they develop it, but giving them the resources and, and the space to do that and believing in them. Right. So I'm a big fan of trusting my instinct. I'm a big fan of trusting my gut. You know, I'll make an opinion of somebody very quickly and I trust that. And then you know, we used to have fun employing people. When I was at Grant Tree, we got to a team of about 50 people. It was great fun. And actually point two, we were about 20 people, I suppose. And that, and now with, with the Magnum company, we're about six people, but it's just, it's just about fundamentally, you've got to like them. You've got to trust them and you've got to care about them. And if you have those three things and then, you know, developing them is, is a joy rather than a, rather than a hardship. And then you will, you will succeed. And how is it like to work with, let's say six versus 60 and then 40 and then three? Are there a lot of changes in, in approach, in mindset? Um, do you enjoy working with more people, less people? I don't feel that great when I'm managing more than about 40 people. I just don't think you've got the, the, the capacity to do it. I don't think you can care about people enough individually to, to, to look after that many people. For me, I like to, I like to know what's going on. I like to, to be involved. I like to, I like to be down the pub with people and, and talk about life, but I also like to be in the room and when we're discussing strategy going forward and stuff. So. I like to get involved and I like to know people and, and, and know what they're, they're up to. Not, not in a ma micromanaging way, just in a, I care way, right? So I do find it hard going up. And, I, and for me, when I get to about 30, 20, 30 people, that's when I get out. That's when my, it's my time to leave. That's my skill set done. So I, I know that my talent is, is finding, developing and building a business. It's not watching it grow after that. The way that you explaining your, your understanding of business and the way that you cherish your team and, and you want them to see them growing and developing, it, it seems that they probably look at you as a father. Has the relationship with your parents influenced how you look at business today? And how is the relationship with your father at this stage? My, my old man is just retired. So, so the, the relationship is an interesting one. Ah, oh, listen, I'm very lucky that, that number one, I've, I've got a father that I know. I've got a father that I've got a mother and a father that are still married and in love. And I've also got parents that love me unconditionally. And I've had that support and that love throughout my life. And I'm extremely lucky and privileged to have that. Saying that, he was a hard father when I was growing up. He was a hard, hard guy. He was hard on us. But so the question, well, how's the relationship now? It's changed. It's changed from being. And, and, you know, I'm 36 and he's 66-ish, I think. The, the relationship changes. You know, now he needs me more than I need him. You know, when I was younger, I needed him. Now that, that, that dynamic's changing. But we, like, I, he came out to Cape Town with mum for, for, for three, four weeks and we had a great time. And, and we're, I wouldn't say we're friends in that regard. Like, he's still my father, but, but we get on so well and I, If I'm half the man that he, he has become or he was, then, then I'll be very happy and very successful. But I'm lucky that I got a role model like that in my life. And the relationship's phenomenal. 
I know that he'll give me a hard time, but he'll always be there when I need him. You know, if I had one phone call, if I was in real trouble, one phone call, it, it'd be him. But that, that, you know, I'm very fortunate to have that. Yeah. So the relationship's good. Although he thinks I was crazy starting the Magnum Company and he wouldn't let me back in the house when I left the Navy. He gave, when I left the Navy, he wouldn't let me back home for six months. He said, you're not coming home. And, and he wasn't even, he wasn't even joking. My mother tried to smuggle me in one afternoon and he found out we were both in trouble. But yeah. Like he was so disappointed when I left the Navy. And he thinks the Magnum idea is crazy, just stupid. But anyway, you know, he's, he's old school. He's, he's judiciary. He was a high court judge and, you know, he believes in careers, but the world's changed and. People do different things and, and, and being a founder, there's, there's a lot, he's risk averse. I'm, I'm, I'm a risk taker. I think that's one thing about being a founder is that, that you take risks, you go for it. You, you say, right, well, what I got to lose, you know? I know that we've briefly discussed about, um, your transition from the first to the second, the third, and now you're going to the fourth company, the Magnum company. And I want to understand, uh, What's your process on exiting a company successfully? How, how do you do that? How do you structure? I've been lucky that we, we found a position each time where it's just the right thing to do. And all three times, two, two of the companies were the same, the same founders. So both times it was on the last two companies, it was literally a piece of paper over the table. And I said, thank you very much. And he was a great guy. Well, they're a great couple. And they, they just kind of said, this is what we think it's worth. And they're very generous. That's one of the key. I think that's when you're looking for people, you want generosity. You want people that are generous, generous with their time, generous with their advice, generous just as, as people. And and I'm very lucky that all my co-founders have been generous. And so we've either been bought out or, or, you know, they bought me out and just said, but fundamentally it's not about money. And it's easy to say when you've got money, it's not about money, but it isn't. It's about, for me, it's about just enjoying life and, and, and adding value. And on all three companies, I wasn't adding value anymore. I'd done what I needed to do. I'd reached the limit of my abilities. And so you've got to move on. But to take that a little bit further, we did the same thing with other people within the company. I, I didn't like to employ anybody for more than five years because I feel that if you're in the same job for five years, you're not learning, you're not progressing, you're not developing. You know, if you're in the same role, and so we either, we actively, no matter how good they were, they could have been my top salesman or saleswoman. I would actively move them on and, and you know, actively find them new roles or different jobs or different career, different businesses to go into because fundamentally everybody should be learning all the time. And you don't want stagnation in, in, in any business and in any people, in anybody's life. You want people to be progressing. So taking that in the same way, I'm, I'm, I'm the same. I, I do about five years in the company, then I move on. And do you prepare that? Do you have a magic number on a piece of paper that you keep with you that when you find the person that looks at that number, you say, I call it a deal? No, <laughs> no. But if I had a, no, but if I had a, yeah, I should, but I don't. No, I, it's gut. I still work off gut, which is bad, but I probably should have that in place. And maybe next time, my next company, I will. But no, at the moment, it's all, it's all gut. I know when it's the right time to go. Yeah, good question. I probably should have a, a number, but I don't. And you've mentioned generosity. As a founder, let's say that I've reached my full capacity um, and I'm thinking about exiting. Should I look for a mentor, brainstorm deals, look for other people that have done that before? It's, 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 a, it's a very personal experience. 
you know, it's your baby. It's the thing that you spent so much time on. It's, it, it's, you get it a lot of love and a lot of money and time and effort. And it's, it's just a case of working it out for yourself. And I say what you need. And I'm not saying that five years is, is the magic number. I'm not saying that two is the magic number or 20 years. There's been very successful founders that still run their companies. But I think, you know, I think deep down, everybody knows when, when time is just to, is to say thank you very much. And, and, and then, and then the key is not to be greedy. You know, the key there is not to be, to be gracious and not greedy and just, you know, bow out with, with dignity and, and not try and screw people over. Valuable way to look at life, uh, a principled way to operate. I really admire your viewpoint and your approach to how you operate in life. Is there a difference between George, the founder, and George, the executive? Are they different? Massively different. Just because you're a founder doesn't mean you're a CEO. In fact, I'm best when I'm not a CEO. I'm best when I'm, I mean, really, my skill set is sales. Really, I should just be a salesperson. Not even a sales director. I should just be a salesperson. I shouldn't be doing any of this stuff at top level. Not because I can't do it. It's just because people far better than me able to do it and, and my skill set is development of, of, of relationships finding and developing and building relationships and so because you're a founder by default you end up doing everything and society dictates or society will tell you that that you know you're only successful if you are the boss but really you've got to work out what you're, you're best at and, and for me i'm not best at being the boss i can be the boss but i'm better at just being one of the boys in the ranks. And have you ever hired or considered hiring an executive? Yeah, actually the family company is going through the same, it's going through the process at the moment of hiring a CEO. It's an interesting experience because fundamentally what you're doing is you're giving your business to somebody else and saying you run it. And again, it goes down to giving them the support, just making sure they've got everything that they need to succeed. You don't want to set anybody up for failure, but you've really got to make sure they've got everything. It's difficult doing it sometimes. It can be challenging, but it's, it works. It's phenomenally rewarding. And looking at the Magnum company, I know that traditionally or previously in the space where you are, customers had to go to a physical location and interact with the product. And you guys are moving everything online. Um, I want to know what is your opinion on the role of the Magnum company for the broad industry where you guys are playing? It's an interesting space. I mean, it was, it was founded by mistake. We were at a dinner party with a great friend of mine and he had been selling magnums to his friends for four years. And I said, Edward, how many magnums have you sold to your mates? Because I must have bought 50 magnums off him in a year. He said, I don't know, George. I don't know. I sold about 5,000 magnums. And he sold 5,000 magnums to his mates in a year. I'm like, bloody hell, I said, we've got a business. Anyway, two in the morning, we found the magnumcompany.com. I bought it for £10.99 from a website called GoDaddy. And then we started the company. And I, the truth is, I don't really know where it's going. I thought we'd start to have a business. And this is what, this is what binding companies and, and being a founder is all about. It's about deviating. It's about changing what you thought you were going to do into what it becomes. And we'd turn into, we're far more gifting than anything else now. We're a gifting company. So we've got brilliant companies on board that, for example, when there's a birthday, they will, they'll send a magnum to the employee. And so you'll be sitting at your desk, it's your birthday. And it's like, you know, here's, here's, here's a present. You open up to a magnum of, of red wine. And it's brilliant because everybody smiles when they get a magnum and they, 
you know, it's a good start to the day. And then actually, ironically, what do you do? Magnum champagne, you put it in the fridge and then end of the day, you get the Magnum out and you share it with all your buddies and you share it with all your work colleagues. And then if you have one Magnum, you've got to have two because that's the party. And so we, we, we're definitely going down the transition of being more of a, a gifting company. We're, we're doing a lot of gifting and it's Magnums make people smile. Going back to what we said earlier about everyday smiling and, and, and every day being about giving people happiness. I run a company where, where what I give people is whenever they see it, they smile. They know it's going to be a good time. They know it's going to be a hell of a party. And that's quite fun to do. Eh? George, uh, my next question, seeing that you are such a family oriented individual, it seems to me, and you, you, you've got such an amazing character. How do you look at family? What are your views on family, on romantic relationship? You've been successful in many areas of your life. How does that area look like? And what are your views? How do you nourish that? How do you maintain that? And Jesus, I mean, you're saying this to a single man in his 30s. I mean, I'm just enjoying life. I just enjoy life. Eh? I don't know. It's a hell of a question that because... When you, when you start a company, it is all encompassing. Like you, you put your heart and soul into you work flipping hard. You know, people that know me, you know, looks like I just had a whale of a time. I come to Cape Town for four months. I, I, I go on adventures. I have a great time, but, but fundamentally under, underneath that, you're working terribly hard. You know, you're getting up at five thirty, six in the morning. You're not running, you're working and you're, you're working late and you're dealing with stuff you don't know, have a clue about like the accounts or finance or tax or suppliers or legal doctors whatever it might be you're, you're always trying to learn new skills and and it's tiring and, and and i haven't had time really to invest in you know in, in in relationships i suppose with with you know personally but maybe there'll be time for that sometime but at the moment i've got two brothers eh? they can they can produce the grandkids and yeah for my mother is my mother is getting cross that she hasn't got any grand grandchildren but i think i think it's difficult to have both I do think it's difficult to have both because you've got to put a lot of time into, 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 into each. Very doable and many people do it, but I struggle to do both. Building both. Yeah, building a company and building a relationship. Yeah, it's hard. And that is the time where we announce when 16 ain't enough. Um, I don't know if you have heard the song Rick Ross featuring Andre 3000. 16 bars is never enough. There are so many things that we want to share about the world. And we've passed 16 bars. I hope that we did. Otherwise, that would, I'm pretty sure we did more than 16 bars. And now I'm going to give you a space to close your um, 16 or a thousand bars that you've given us as a founder, as an entrepreneur, as an executive, as an amazing individual that you are. George, the mic is open and it is all yours. Jeepers. You could have, you could give me a warning about this one. You could give me some warning. No, I think, listen, I think I've only discovered this in the last two years. I think, I think the biggest advice I could give at the moment is find a mentor. Find somebody that you respect, find somebody that's done something similar or somebody that you can just talk to openly and find a mentor that can support you. And mentors go across the board from the highest person in the company to the lowest person in the company in old school sense as in, you know, the youngest or the, the newest or whatever, as in everybody should have a mentor. And I think that is, that is really, really important. 
because, you know, the old adage that a problem shared is a problem halved is so true. And, and you'll go through tough times with anything at that level. And if you can talk to somebody about it and get some perspective from a different point of view outside the company, it's invaluable. So that'd be my first piece. And then my second piece is, is we covered it. Enjoy it. You know, enjoy the ride. Strap yourself in. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. You're not going to enjoy it, but sometimes, but most of the time, if you're not smiling, get out. And if you have fun, you're normally good at it. So have fun doing what you're doing and always have a smile on your face. That's probably it, actually. If I'm honest with you, that's probably the two bits of advice that that set me up in good stead, eh? Always smiling. Always smiling and, and always have something to share your, your joy and your problems with. Amazing. I'll, I'll take that as a prescription and I'll continue to share my joy with more people and more lessons, just like you sharing with us. Uh, George has been a true honor and pleasure. I've got to know what is in George's mind when you're running. That Sometimes you're not even listening to music. Now I got to know. So, it's a dark, it's a dark place, Gio. It's a dark place. You don't want to go there too often. <laughs> but truly, truly, thank you. Uh, thanks a lot. And I, I want to have a second conversation, a third conversation, and find out what happens with the Magnum journey, the Magnum company, and everything else that you're doing in your life. All the love and all the power, George. Grazie di cuore. Well, it's been an absolute privilege. Thank you so much for asking me. And it's amazing what you're doing, eh? Like sharing advice, sharing, sharing experiences is, is the way people learn. And it's wonderful that you're producing these podcasts to do that. And it's, it's great fun to be a part of it. So thank you. And that is it for today. Thank you very much for being part of this conversation and experience. I trust that the conversation was as valuable to you as it was for me and George. I'm going to be including George's details if you want to get in touch with him on LinkedIn. And if you want to do business with the Magnum company, I'm also going to include their website here. I'm Giovanni, your host. You were in the presence of the last student. Hey, if you haven't done so, please subscribe and see you.